Hey, this is Chelsea Emery from Christ Walk Church, and this is our podcast. For more information about our church, visit thechristwalk.com. We hope this message encourages you to live for something more. Thanks for listening. Have you ever noticed how awkward silence can be? That was literally 60 seconds. And many of you couldn't even make it that long. You were like, is he having a stroke? What is going, like we're unsure of what is taking place. Silence, if, for those of you that are parents, um, for those of you that are particularly and specifically for those of you that have ever been parents to a preteen female, as I am experiencing right now um, with my daughter Avery, my wife and I. Um, silence is something that you have longed for. It is something that you have prayed, that you have gone to the throne of the Heavenly Father for. But, but then when it is granted to you within the society, the culture, just how things are in our world, it's so. 60 seconds, and you were fidgeting and giggling awkwardly, like unsure of what's happening because silence is something that is just so foreign to us these days. It's outside the realm of anything that we experience on a regular basis. Even though that we would say, man, I could just use a little bit of peace and Quiet. When it happens, it gets weird real quick because we're just not used to it. A quick Google search will show you that the average person gets 94 text messages on their cell phone a day. If you are the average teenager, you get approximately 9,400 texts. Uh, The average person receives 121 emails every single day. Um, Last year, in the state of Florida alone, some of you are experiencing this right now. I don't have the 2020 data, which I'm sure it's gone up because of the impending election. But last year, in the state of Florida alone, 4.4 billion robocalls were made to cell phones. That's, that's an average of one every other day that individuals would receive. This is over and above like the people you actually want to talk to. These are 4.4 billion phone calls that don't even matter that took place. The average American spends 5.4 hours every single day on their mobile device. We spend three hours and 35 minutes each day 
watching television on average. The, the average American, every 24-hour period, is exposed to somewhere between six and 10,000 different pieces of advertisement media. The average person touches, this is going to blow your mind, the average person touches their cell phone 2,617 times every single day. The top 10% of that category, the top 10% of people touch their cell phone over 5,400 times every single day of their life. On average, we spend... 142 minutes every single day, that's more than two hours, on social media. If you fall somewhere between the 16 to 24-year-old age range, you spend on average 181 minutes, nearly three hours a day on, um, or that is three hours a day, on social media, 64 and a half of those minutes are on Facebook, 48 minutes on average for us we spend on Instagram. Every single minute of every single day, this is happening right now as I'm talking, in that one minute of silence at the beginning of this message, here's what happened. 13 million texts got sent. Nearly 500,000 tweets on Twitter were sent. Over 2 million snaps were sent out on Snapchat. Just under 50,000 images were posted to Instagram. 750,000 songs were streamed on Spotify alone. Nearly 100,000 hours of Netflix shows were watched. More than 4.3 million videos were streamed on YouTube. And in America alone, 3.1 million gigabytes of internet data was used. And we wonder why we have a problem when it comes to silence and why that's so awkward. And weird and outside the realm of what we're normally accustomed to. It's because every waking moment we are engaged with something. Here's what uh, Richard Foster said. I mean, if you haven't read his book, Celebration of Discipline, as soon as this is over, get on Amazon, order it. You won't regret it. Celebration of discipline. He says, our adversary, he's talking about the devil, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, then he will rest satisfied. And you know what happens when the devil rests satisfied? We don't. When he rests satisfied, we don't. And it causes me to think of, there's, there's this passage in, in 1 Kings in chapter 19. It's um, uh, specifically uh, verses 11 through 13. Um, there's a prophet by the name of Elijah, and he has, um, he's asked the Lord, he's asked God to, to reveal himself 
to him. God, will you reveal yourself to me? And and here's what it says. Uh, The voice of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here's what we all know. The world is noisy. The world is a noisy, crowded, busy place. But why would we ever expect God to communicate with us in the same way that the world does? We've identified the way the world does things is the problem. We all raised our hand. We said, we're busy, we're tired, we're overspent, we're overconnected, we're overcommitted, we're overworked, and we are over it, but yet we still Expect God to communicate with us in the same way that the world does. Many of you are wondering if God has stopped communicating with you. You find it so difficult to hear his voice, but you need to know that just because you can't hear God speaking does not mean that he is being silent. How many of you have ever tried to carry on a conversation with someone while they had their face down in their cell phone. Wives, how many of you have ever tried to have a conversation with your husband on a fall Saturday in the southeastern United States when he was watching football? No amens from the front row, none? That was your chance, honey. It's impossible. Because we're so caught up into something else. In fact, like that's what marriage has become. Marriage is now the decision of, is this the person that I want to watch look at their iPhone for the rest of my life? (laughs) That's what we're deciding when we get married to someone. It's so aggravating when you're trying to engage with someone and they're not paying attention because they're engrossed in something else. And I can't help but wonder if that's how God feels when he tries to communicate with me. When he tries to communicate with us. He's doing everything he can to get my attention, but I'm so locked in over here on something that doesn't even matter that I can't hear him speak. See, the world calls us from loneliness and says, if you're lonely, come and be a part of the noise. Come and be a part of the crowd. God calls us from loneliness into a place known as silence and solitude. We're wrapping up part four of a series that we're calling Over It. And it's all based on the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Rest sounds great, but we've discovered that it's elusive. And the reason that it is so elusive is because 
We're enslaved. We are enslaved to this thing called mammon. We talked about this all the way back in, in, in part one of this series, this thing called mammon, earthly gain and pursuit and wealth and success here in this world. And that, that we're in a tug of war between our pursuit of mammon and our pursuit of God. And that if we choose to pursue mammon, we are going to arrive at the destination of death and destruction. But if we will choose to pursue after the Lord Jesus Christ and put him first in our life, we are going to arrive at the place of, of a life filled full of righteousness that will lead eventually to everlasting life. In week two, we talked about how we start to go about that. And it begins, if we're going to overcome our slavery, if we're going to get over it and stay over it, that we've got to start by slowing down. Took a look at Psalm 46 that says, Be still and know that I am God, the Yada and the Rapha. We talked about being still, slowing down, knowing that he is God, choosing to create margin in our lives rather than living a life of constant hurry. And last week, we took that a step further by talking about this, this topic or, or, or this, this idea of Sabbath, which was a, a law under the, the old covenant in the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And we learned that by keeping the Sabbath holy, by keeping it consecrated and set apart and separate, that it will cause us to be holy, made whole, because we'll be able to keep our tanks filled physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And today, I want to talk to you about a subject that it's, it's a difficult one. It's a, it's a difficult one. It, it makes us uncomfortable. Um, and it's also something that's, that's difficult to master, particularly within the scope of 2020 and our modern lives. And that is this idea of silence and solitude. And admittedly, I don't know everything there is to know. And this is a major area of my life that the Lord has been dealing with me over the past several months. And so I just want to share some things that God's laid on my heart, some things that, that I've learned along the way that I hope will, will help to seal the deal that we can really step into, we'll be able to step into this rest that the Father wants us to experience. And we're going to take a look at um, the Gospel of Mark. So if you've got your Bible, um, you've got a smart device, turn with me, swipe with me there to uh, the Gospel of Mark, um, chapter 6. And we're going to read a big chunk of Scripture together. So it's not going to be on the screen. If you're taking notes, write it down, Mark 6, 30 through 56. I'd encourage you later on, maybe this week as part of your devotional time or something, maybe go back and, and kind of read through these verses, spend some time with them. But I'm going to read through it and I'm going to highlight um, or point out some of the, the key points, the key verses along the way. Um, but as we think about silence and solitude, um, I think that Mark 6 is a great place for us to kind of begin our foray into the topic. Um, it says, beginning in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, this is important, 
Note what he says right here in verse 31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. See, there it is. He said this because there were so many people coming and going, the crowd, that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. See, it's not just a modern day issue. It's something that Jesus and his disciples dealt with, that they struggled with. It's a, it's a problem that's taken place for a long time. Verse 32, so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus is trying to get away from the crowd, but the crowd goes to where he is. And so now he's in a position where he's got to minister to these people. So he begins to teach them many things. No doubt you've probably heard this story before. Verse 35, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. And he also divided the fish for everyone to share. Verse 42, I love what it says. They all ate as much as they wanted. Five loaves, two fish, everybody gets full. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. How many disciples were there? 12. They had 12 baskets of leftovers. I don't think that's a coincidence. Not only did he feed them there, but Jesus gives us more than enough. He took care of tomorrow's meal as well. Verse 44, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. And immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, verse 46, Jesus, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. He said, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. And then he climbed into the boat after walking on the water. He climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. Verse 52. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. 
And they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. And the people recognized Jesus at once. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Verse 56. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. Not just some. All. Everyone. Not just some of the people were fed. It was all. It was everyone. As much as they needed, as much as they wanted, everyone was fed. Everyone was healed. And it all began with Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, let's go to a quiet place. There's three things that I want to point out from this passage. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Three kind of uh, maybe, maybe nuggets or ways of looking at this passage that perhaps you've never really looked at it um, this way before. And the first is that, that Jesus is actually, um, and, and Mark in telling this story, is actually establishing a pattern. He's establishing a pattern of Jesus' life. And we can... We can see different ways that we are supposed to live based on reading the gospels and seeing how Jesus lived his life. There's a lot of things in the gospels that are not explicit commands that come to us from Jesus or or from God. But just by being observant, we can see ways based on the narrative and the story of how Jesus lived his life on how we should live ours. And, and Mark is particularly unique. And so there's, there's instances of this in all of the four Gospels, but I thought it was important for us to be in Mark because Mark tells the Gospel story in a much different way than the others. It's the shortest Gospel. Mark, I love Mark because he is a straight shooter. He wants to get right to the point And what Mark is trying to do is he's trying to to introduce us to Jesus and then as quickly as he possibly can, he's trying to present all the facts for why this man named Jesus that has come on the scene, why he is the Messiah. And we get all the way to the end of Mark's gospel and it, um, uh, except for an addendum that was added in later manuscripts, Mark kind of leaves it with, well, you got to decide for your own. I've shown you all the facts. And so the way that Mark writes is in such a way that he gets down to business really quickly. And he just wants to tell you the most important things about the, the, the situations, the scenarios, the stories that are taking place. The most important thing, so you don't have to sift through a bunch of stuff to get down to the nitty-gritty and the crux of who this guy Jesus really is. In fact, 39 times in his gospel, Mark uses a word that can be translated um, to immediately or something of that ilk. He's all about moving quickly from one scene to the next. So in a rapid fire way, you get exposure to who this man named Jesus really was. He begins his gospel by by establishing this pattern all the way back in Mark chapter one, verse 35. He establishes, uh, begins to establish this pattern in Jesus' life. He says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. 
Now, I find it interesting that for someone wanting to get us to the cross and to the resurrection of Christ as quickly as possible, that he's saying, I've got to leave out all of the minor details. I just want to focus on the major stuff. And we see him right off the get-go establishing the fact that Jesus was a man who got up every single day before the sun had even risen, that he went out to an isolated place to spend time in prayer. And he continues that all the way through his gospel and the instance that we just read where we saw two different times that Jesus once with his disciples and then once by himself, he's continuing that pattern of getting up, going to an isolated place and spending time with the Father. Mark, seeing that only the most important details were those that would be relevant, leaves in this fact about the character and the nature of who Jesus was. So that tells me that this is something that is very important that I, that we should be paying attention to. And if Jesus is doing it and the pattern is established in his life, then it's a pretty good idea that we should establish this pattern in our life as well. C.S. Lewis introduces this issue, the issue that we're facing with here. He says, we live, in fact, in a world starved for solitude, silence, and private, and therefore starved for meditation and true friendship. See, the pattern that Jesus was establishing is... We've got to get alone so that we can medit- be in meditation on the word, the words of God and that we can be in true friendship with our Heavenly Father. He knew that these things were not something to be neglected and so they were a regular and consistent and intentional part of his life. And Mark seeing that this was paramount in the life of not only Jesus but those who would follow him includes these details in his very straight and to the point. Point gospel. Many of you have no doubt looked at the life of someone else, someone that you consider to be a man or a woman of God, a person of great faith, and you thought, I really wish that I could have a relationship with God the way that they do. I wish that my connection with God was the way that theirs was I wish God would speak to me the way that he speaks to them. I wish that I could get revelation from the scriptures the way that they get revelation from the scriptures. And the truth is, is that if you want a relationship with God like that person has, then you've got to be willing to do the things that that person does. And that person is, no doubt, probably doing the things that they saw Jesus do which is very countercultural. Back up to that Mark chapter 1. We don't do this before daybreak. Yeah, right. We're not getting up early. No. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up. I ain't getting up off the couch. I'm comfortable. I'm not getting up out of the bed. It's, it's, it's warm. It, it's cozy. I'm all snuggled in. We're hitting the snooze bar. I gotta get, I just gotta get a little bit more sleep. Jesus, before daybreak, the sun's not even up. He's up. Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place. We don't get up and go to isolated places. We get up and we go to the places where everybody else is. 
It's the cool place to be. It's the happening place. And then Jesus got up and went, before daybreak, got up and goes out to an isolated place to pray? Have you ever tried to do that before? Get up before the sun comes up, go out by yourself and spend time praying? I don't know about you, but I end up falling back asleep. It's hard. It is a discipline But Jesus had the kind of relationship with the Father that he had because of the kind of life that he lived, the things that he did. And if we want to have an intimate, close relationship with the Father, these are the kinds of things that we are going to have to do. If we want God to speak to us more clearly, if we want greater revelation from his word, if we want to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost and have authority over the evil and wickedness of our world, this is what our life needs to look like. That means that we've got to sacrifice the things that we want now and instead choose to live for the things that we want later. I'm sacrificing hitting the snooze button because I know that getting up and going to the solitary place, the secret place to meet with the Father is going to strengthen my relationship with Him. Just so much better than nine more minutes of sleep. If we want what those people have, we've got to do what those people did. So it's a pattern. Jesus is not telling us, he's not showing us to do something that he never did. No, he established the pattern on his own, and so now we are to mirror it. So not only does Jesus establish this pattern here in the Gospel of Mark, but I love the fact that he invites his disciples, that's us, if you're attempting to be a Christ follower, you you categorize yourself as a Christ follower, he invites us to, this is the second one, to participate with him in this endeavor. It's participation. Participation, number two. Uh, Mark 6.31, he says this. He says, let's, that's let us, he's talking to his disciples, they are included in this, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Jesus was constantly inviting his followers to take place in his life and his ministry. Notice that in the passage that we read that when, when, uh, when they came to Jesus and they said, hey, all the people are hungry, what did he say? He's like, well, I got five loaves and two fish right here. Just pass. No, he said, you feed them. You do it. You take care of it. He was constantly inviting them to be a part. It wasn't all about him. He was bringing them along so that they could share in and experience in the glory of him as 100% man, but also 100% God. He's inviting us to partake in this life with him. And he would use these times to model and teach and to empower them to go and do the same because he knew that the time was coming when he would no longer be here on this earth with them. So as his disciples, we have been, we have been empowered. We have, we have these, these narratives from the scripture that, that teach and model and show us how we are to live. And through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we've been empowered to go and to live the same way. Thomas Merton says this, he says, the speech of God is silence and his word is solitude. 
Jesus knew this. That's why he's inviting the disciples. Hey, you need to come and be a part of this. You need to come and experience this for yourself because Jesus knew that when we get, when we get alone and when we get quiet and we unplug from the distractions of the world, that all of a sudden we'll begin to hear God's voice in a way that we've never been able to hear it before. And then through his word, we're going to be given strength, the sustenance that we need in order to be able to obey it. So he's inviting us. He's saying, come to the secret, to the solitary, to the isolated, to the quiet place. Because in silence is where God speaks. That's where he gives us his word that's going to strengthen and sustain and empower us to do what he has called us to do, to be who he has called us to be. So Jesus establishes the pattern. He invites us to participate. And then number three, the passage that we read in Mark chapter six, the end result is always protection and provision. It's always protection and provision. Think about it. Jesus got his disciples. He said, let's go to a place alone by ourselves so that we can rest. That's his protection. Get away from these crowds. It's not good for you to be here. You need something else. You need a time apart so that you can be protected. So he gets them alone for their protection. But then the people come. And Jesus goes and he teaches them many things. That's provision. People get hungry because Jesus taught a lot of stuff. And it was late in the evening. So he takes five loaves and two fish. And he feeds all of the people. That's Again, his provision. Out of all that he fed the disciples, there's 12, or out of all that he fed the 5,000, there's, there's 12 baskets left over for the disciples. Again, that's his provision. Then he sends the disciples on across the water and he goes up into the hills by himself to pray, renewing that pattern that he's modeling for his disciples and for you and for me. And the disciples, they get caught in a squall on the sea. And Jesus gets in a boat and goes across it. No, he walks. The thing that they are struggling with, he's standing on. And he gets into the boat and, and, and he tells them not to be afraid and, and he, he calms the storm. That's their protection. Once again, they thought they were going to die and Jesus just walks on top of it. And then the people come to him once again and he says, all who touch him were healed. That's provision. Over and over and over throughout the gospels, we see this. We see Jesus getting time alone with the Father, spending time in isolation and prayer and solitude and silence. And then these incredible, supernatural, miraculous things happening as a result. And it happens so much that I've just got to believe that it's not a coincidence. That if we want to see the supernatural and the miraculous take place in our lives, then maybe that just begins with us getting alone with the Father. So that he can download some stuff into us. Jesus was constantly making this a priority. 
Yes, he was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And he knew if I don't get away to spend time with the Father, then I'm not going to have what I need to make a difference in this world around me. Now, I think that if we were to boil it down into maybe one phrase, one sentence, one idea, I think that really what this passage in, in regard to silence and solitude, what it's communicating is simply this right here. If you're taking notes, write this down. Silence and solitude isn't abandonment. It's not God casting us off to the side. Silence and solitude isn't abandonment. It's empowerment. It's empowerment. It's when we put ourselves in those situations that that God is actually filling us with his power to go and to make a difference, to be able to do something for his kingdom in the world around us. But choosing not to live this way, choosing not to constantly go to the place of silence and solitude means that when we attempt to minister to the world around us, we are, we are less than what we could be. We, we have less power available to us than what we could have. So going to the place of silence and solitude, it's constantly charging up our batteries to be able to serve and minister to the world around us. Maybe said in a different way, it would be if, if we have any hope of thriving in and ministering to a broken world, our first step is to detach from it. Let me say that one more time. If you and I, if we have any hope of thriving in and ministering to a broken world, our first step is to detach from it. Psalm 91, verse 1, says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So, as we stated at the very beginning of this series and as we've reiterated each and every week, that elusive rest, that's what we're after. And Psalm 91 tells us how to achieve that rest, that those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That word shelter there in Psalm 91 is actually, it's a Hebrew word, it's sefer. Sefer, it's gonna be on the screen Sefer, it literally means secret hiding place. Secret hiding place. You remember when you were a kid, you had like a tree house, or you had that place that you would go with your friends or, or whatever, maybe it was like in, in, up in the attic or in an old, like a, a, a closet in your, in your house or whatever, and it was your, it was your hideout, right? And maybe if, if, if like it was you and, and, and a group of boys, if you're a boy and it was a group of boys or whatever, you'd post the sign, no girls allowed, you know? That's the sefer that we're talking about. It's the secret hiding place where just you and God go. He knows where it is, you know where it is, but the world isn't allowed. That's the place of silent and in solitude. It is hidden from the plain view of the world. In fact, the world doesn't understand it. They can't even conceptualize what this is. 
but it's a place not where you go to be in isolation from everything and where, where you have to gruel through like and, and be all loneliness and downtrodden and all that. No, it's the place where you go and you meet with your heavenly father and no one else is allowed in. It's the place we go to choose slow over hurry. It's the place we go to replace busy with purposeful and intentional. It's the place that we go to exchange the noise and the distraction of the world for, for quiet and for focus. It's the fair, the secret hiding place. It's the place that we go to experience wholeness in place of our brokenness. It's the place that when we go there to seek God in that secret place that our lives are gonna be transformed and we'll begin to live out of the overflow of God's rest that we experience there. So I close out this series the same way that I opened it. Are you over it? You done with being busy? Are you tired of being tired? then let's change the way we live. Because we don't have to live this way. We choose to, but we're not meant to. God has something better for you and for me. So this week, my challenge to you is to be intentional, be intentional about going to this place. Whatever that looks like for you, this affair, maybe it's, Maybe you just need to get in the car and go for a drive. No radio, just you by yourself in the car. Maybe it's a room in your home where you can get away from your, your spouse and the kids and whatever that looks like. For me, it's, it's my back porch, my back patio. And maybe it's, maybe all you can do is just an hour. Maybe you can do an afternoon, maybe you can spend a whole day. Whatever it is, this week, my challenge is for you to go and find your safari, your secret hiding place, and just be there in silence, just to hear from the Lord. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be awkward. You thought a minute was awkward? Try an hour. Try half a day, try a whole day, try a silent retreat over a weekend or over the course of a week. But the more we go to that secret place, the more we, we, we detach ourselves from the ways of the world and we get those toxins out of our system, the more God and his voice and his character come into clarity and focus in front of us and we can hear him, his still gentle whisper. He's there, he's waiting to meet us there at that place and he's speaking to us and here's what he's saying, come to me, those of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. The things of this world simply are not worth it. Our attention, our hope, 
our trust, our praise of them. It's fleeting and in vain. It's him and him alone that deserves our highest praise. It's him and him alone that deserves number one spot in our life. And the way that we place him and keep him on that throne of our hearts is to constantly meet with him right here in the secret hiding place. Come to me, those of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us the coming days, weeks, months, for the rest of our life to choose to place the pursuit of mammon, earthly gain and success on the, on the back burner, that we would distance ourselves from it and that instead we would choose to pursue you, to pursue a life that is full of righteousness, full of purpose, full of intentionality, full of the things that truly matter that will lead us to the everlasting life that you have promised for us. God, I pray that you would help us to exchange the temptation and the tendency to go through life hurry, hurried at, at, at a reckless pace. That instead you would help us to create margin and that we would choose to slow down and be people of purpose. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to stand in adversity to a world that is 24 seven. And it said that we would set aside time regularly and consistently weekly for Sabbath, for rest, together with friends and family to focus in on you, to welcome you back into our lives, to center ourselves on you and what you're wanting to do in and through us, to celebrate what you have done and to just enjoy the blessings that are. And God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us a burning passion, a desire to seek you out in the secret place, in this affair. And that as we go there, that the awkwardness over time would diminish that in its place, we would find comfortability, we would find hope, we would find trust, we would find true rest. Lord, that you would speak to us in that place, that you would reveal yourself to us so that we can become more like you, that we would experience the true rest that only you can bring about and that we would live and serve and love and minister and function from the overflow of that place of rest. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen, amen, amen.